Thank you, Ben. We want to uh, be praying for Ed and Francis and Kathy as they are in Israel right now, uh, part of the Jubilaires uh, tour over there. We're excited about all God is going to be doing in, in their lives as they're serving uh, in that way. And pray for some uh, 200 uh, lady singers and, and another 40 or 50 of those that are helping them in the process. So God is just blessing tremendously in that already. We've had several updates and we're just so thankful what God is doing. If you will, take your Bibles and I'll ask you this morning to uh, turn with me to Matthew 28, a very, very familiar passage for you. <clears throat> but I want to remind you of what um, Tony read just a, a few minutes ago. You know, we have said that the point of our sphere has to be reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And especially we're looking to reach out to those who have children still at home. And some of those are college-age students and others are little bitty ones. But finding family is just so important for us. But in all of this, this is what is central and key. What God told us to do is what we need to be about. Okay, uh, the purpose of the church has to remain what Jesus said the purpose of the church was. I shared with you a study that when Arne did back last week at that when they polled uh, a thousand different uh, churches and asked the people in the churches how, what the reason the church existed, 89% said the church exists to take care of me and my family. Just a little over 10% said the church exists to share the gospel with the lost and dying world. That's who we are. You and I don't have the privilege of changing what Jesus set his church aside to be. That is who we are, and that's what we are to be about. And so that becomes central for us. So we're going to look at it, Matthew 28 in just a moment. Share with you a quick story. Uh, a friend of mine was telling me about this. He's, well, the head of, of, of Guidestone. Uh, he was telling the story here a while back. He said he was on an airplane traveling, and there was this little bitty lady, well up in years, and, and kind of bent over uh, at the back and the shoulders. And, and so he sat there beside her, and after a, a little bit, she looked at him and she said, Are you Jewish? And he said, uh, No, no, I'm not. She said, oh, Okay. So a little later, she turned to him again, and she said, Are you sure you're not Jewish? And he said, No, no, I'm, 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 I'm not Jewish. I'm not at all. Okay. And then a little later, she turned to him one more time, and she said, Are you absolutely sure you're not Jewish? And he said, Ma'am, I'm, I'm not. She said, Well, you don't look Jewish. So... Oh, as Hawkins says that, I said, I don't know what, what to do with that. But here's the point he made, and I made it too. Do you look Christian enough for somebody sitting beside you to know that you're one of God's children? Do you appear Christian enough that when somebody is beside you, that Christ rubs off on them? Does the aroma of Christ waft into the nostrils of those that are around us? We should always be that, that very special aroma of Christ who all we come in contact with. And that's what Jesus told us in Matthew 28. As we're going, here's what we're to be doing. Matthew 28, and look at verse 18, if you will. Matthew 28 and verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to him, and he said, All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. 
Go therefore, and in some translations will say, as you're going, as you're going, go therefore and make disciples. Will you underline those two words? Make disciples. We always look to Matthew 28 as to the commission for winning souls to faith in Christ. And that's true. But Jesus didn't talk about winning souls to Christ. He talked about making disciples. There's the difference. Go you into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, as we open this incredible book, as we open our Bible, we open a living document. And you speak living words to us today. Though written so many thousands of years ago. In three different continents. In three different languages. Yet with one common theme. About your great love for mankind. And your work at redemption. Father, draw us to your heart. Open your heart to us as we open our heart to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I stand and I say, historically the church of Jesus Christ has short-circuited God's plan. Here, so clearly lined up. We have spent way too much time and energy and focus ushering people into the kingdom and far too little time and energy developing them in the Christian life. We want to introduce them to Christ, but God calls us to help them to be like Christ. The call is to make disciples. The call is not to make converts. The call is to make disciples. This is abundantly clear. And yet we have somehow missed this boat. C.D. Alexander in his book says, Conversion without discipleship is openly implied in much of our evangelistic outreach today. It has become strangely possible to belong to Christ without ever taking up His cross. Think about that. It has become extremely possible to say we belong to Christ and yet have no concept of what it means to take up the cross. We're talking about intentionality. That we want to be the intentional church that God wants us to be. Last week we talked about intentional evangelism. Today I want us to talk about intentional discipleship. Being intentional about discipleship. Doing discipleship on purpose. Okay? It is so imperative. Well, when you think about that word disciple, what does it mean? In, in its ancient language, it simply meant a learner. But not just someone who sits back this passionately gathering information. This was an apprentice. This was someone who come alongside a master. A master electrician or a master goldsmith or a, a, a master carpenter, whatever. You would come alongside the master and you would learn it as a trade. You would learn it as a way of life. You would learn what it meant to do that thing. And that's where this word was plucked from. So a disciple is one who comes not only to learn about Christ, but to apply the things of Christ into our lives. Not only to know about, but to do. Not only to know what He says, 
but to practice what is said. And we lose that so many times. It's interesting. We did not start out as, as a movement calling ourselves Christians. We, we were Christ followers, or we were followers of the way. That's how we were known in the earliest, earliest days of the Christian movement. Interestingly enough, as, as Christ began to be preached to the Gentiles, and especially in the Gentile city of Antioch, those followers of the way attained a new name, and it was not the name they chose for themselves, it was others chose this name and labeled them with it, and it was the name Christian. And literally, literally the name was Little Christs. Little Christs. The lost world looked out at those who were believers and said, here is a diminutive Christ. Here is one who looks like Christ and acts like Christ and feels like Christ and speaks like Christ and, and loves like Christ. Can that be said of us? Can that be said of us, folks? When a world of lost people look at us, do they say, wow, there's a little Christ. That's what Jesus looks like. That's how He acts. That's how He walks. That's how He talks. That's how He loves. God, that that would be said of us. And that it would be absolutely warranted. Discipleship. What are we talking about? Here it is. We want to define terms. Last week we determined what evangelism was. Let's talk about what this discipleship is. It's the process of leading people in the power of God to be transformed, to be more like Jesus in their thoughts and feelings and actions. It's the process, and it is a process. It's the process, of, it's a God-empowered thing, a God-transforming thing to where we become more like Jesus in our thoughts and our feelings and our actions. Now listen, let me say this. Please listen to me. Discipleship is not something you go learn in an eight-week class. Discipleship is not something that you learn in a year-long class. Discipleship is sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning His Word, and being transformed by that Word to be like Him. You're committing yourself to His Word. You're committing yourself to Christ. That I am going to be a follower of Christ. This world has taken that name they gave us, Christian, so many, many, many years ago, and now it has become a very derogatory term. Now it has is been used to define things that are so outside the Scriptures, it's not even funny anymore. And I myself many times have just given up on the using of that term today and refer to us as Christ followers. Christ followers. Because that's something that you do. It's not just a label that you put on yourself. Hear me. Lifestyle. Being a Christ follower is a lifestyle. It's the way you think. It's the way you act. It changes who you are. Please keep in mind, if your faith in Christ has not changed you deeply in who you are, if it's not made its way into your very DNA and your structure of who you are, please, with all the 
urgency but compassion that I can muster. You've bought a cheap bill of goods. You've bought a cheap substitute. Because a relationship with Christ is transformational. A Christ follower, what, is, what, what does this mean? What does discipleship mean? I want to give you two aspects of discipleship. There's many aspects of that. But I want to talk to you about a vertical relationship, it's up and down, and a horizontal relationship. These two lines draw the cross that we're to pick up and carry after the Lord Jesus Christ. The Scripture tells us to be imitators of Christ. Ephesians 5 Therefore, be imitators of God as God's dear children. And walk, that's act, not just think or claim, but walk in love as Christ also loved us. And gave Himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a sweet-smelling aroma. So we're to be like Him. So, let, let me tell you one bit of bad news I got for you this morning, okay? One bit of bad news. Discipleship comes from the word discipline. I know that's disappointing to some people. Because discipline is something by nature we don't like. We don't like discipline. But we have to do it. We have to be disciplined in getting to work on time or we're fired. We have to be disciplined in doing the things that are required for us on our job or we don't have a job anymore. We have to be disciplined or else we run out of time. We, we, we don't get things accomplished in the timeline that we should have. We ha it takes discipline to live in this world. But discipline is part of what it means to be a Christ follower. Yes, you came to Christ by faith. You came to an altar and you prayed and Christ asked Christ to come into your heart. That was the beginning. Actually, I don't really believe it's the beginning anymore. I think discipleship begins way before that as God brings you to that position. But at that point, you made a, a decision to be a Christ follower. That's not the end of the story. Okay? When you're, when you're talking about your salvation experience, I, I hope you don't think in terms just of something that happened to you decades ago. But something that happened there and began, and it is now impacting you still today and will till the day you die. It's an ongoing transformational process that's happening within you. I want to talk about three vital elements of discipleship. There's many things to be disciplined about, many disciplines for us to follow, but three are essential for us to step out, really beginning our Christ walk. Three, I want to, I want to talk about the discipline of the Word, the discipline of prayer, and the discipline of love. That's what we're talking about. First of all, the discipline of God's Word. Intentional discipleship, this is in your notes, is a life discipline in God's Word. It's the first of the vertical relationships. It's imperative. You've got to be in the Word. Folks, there is no substitute for you reading God's Holy Word. There are some wonderful Bible studies you can take. There's some great devotional material that you can use. But all of these are supplemental to the main thing. And that's you yourself opening and reading and studying God's Word. Start every day with it. When you can, end your day with it. Begin and end in God's Holy Word. God has not 
promise to bless anybody's devotional literature, any Bible studies that people have written, but He's promised to bless His Word. He speaks through His Word. There is no substitute for His Word. Two things about His Word. First of all, the discipline of God's Word is first of all, knowing God's Word. See, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So first of all, we've, we've got to know God's Word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself as, uh, to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who rightly handles the Word of God. That doesn't mean in how you hold it in your hand. That means how you stay after God's Word, how you pursue God's Word, how you seek to understand God's Word, how you then apply God's Word to your life. You see, the, the people in Jesus' day that he had the most trouble with were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were experts in the Word of God. They knew all about it. You couldn't tell them anything about it they didn't already know. They knew the letter of the law, but they didn't know the spirit of the law. And Jesus came uniting the letter and the spirit together. And he said of them, and it's, it's painful, he, he, he said of them <clears throat> that you do not know the heart. You do not know the heart of what God is saying. He said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He said, well did Isaiah say of you hypocrites. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It's easy to talk about God's Word, but you know what? When you learn God's Word, He expects you to do that Word. And that's the second part. Doing God's Word. Knowing God's Word is important. Doing God's Word is imperative. Imperative. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You know we're self-deceived? When we think it's okay to know what God says and not do it. We are self-deceived. And, and that's the world that we live in, a self-deceived world. When this world says, oh, I know what God's Word says, but I choose not to do it. That's a self-deception. Knowing and doing are the disciplines of being a disciple of God, especially as it relates to His Word. But also in this vertical dimension, let me go to the second thing. And intentional discipleship means being intentional in prayer. Being intentional in prayer. You see, out of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we learn about Him by diving into the Word. And then we experience and relate to Him as we pray. We speak His Word back to Him. We ask Him questions. The disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, say, Lord, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples, teach us to pray. That's what a disciple asks. Not teach us to where we can just know some more knowledge about prayer, but teach us the experience and the practice of praying. Kindergartner class was on a on a field uh, uh, trip, and they went to a firehouse, 
And they got to climb on all the fire engines and, and, and put on the fire hats and all of the things that they would do. And so one of the firemen started talking to them, got them sitting around in a, in, in, in a circle. And he said, now, you need to understand, if you're ever caught in a burning building, don't go and immediately open a door. He said, go first of all and feel of the door very gently to see if it's hot. If it's hot, the fire's in there. Don't go in there. So the second thing you do is you come back and you get down on your knees. Do you know why you get on your knees? And one of the boys said, yeah, you need to pray that God will get you out of this mess. <laughs> but far too often, that's our idea of what prayer is. God, get me out of this mess! Now God wants to hear that prayer. And He's going to answer that prayer. But what kind of a relationship would you have with someone you love, a child of yours or your spouse or whatever, if the only communication you had was gimme, 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 gimme. Wouldn't you want more than that in a relationship? And yet far too often, that's what we reduce our prayer life to. God, I need this. God, I'm in trouble with this. God, you need to fix this. God, this other person's picking on me, do this. When Jesus taught His people to pray. He said, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive others who sin against us. Do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. What do you learn about that prayer? It's about God. It's not so much about us. Just give us enough to live on today. Everything else is, is God and your splendor and your glory and your wonder and, and, and your grace as you bring forgiveness to me. And out of that grace, let me to forgive others. What are we learning in this vertical relationship? That prayer is to bring us into the presence of God. He's the one we too, we pray to. He's the, the, he, what we pray about is His will and His provision. And, and what do we pray about? Our forgiveness and our forgivingness to others. Prayer today, many people see it as that magic lamp. You know, you rub the, rub the genie, you rub the lamp, and God pops out and says, you know, what three wishes can I grant for you today? Folks, that's not in our Bible. Don't treat God in such a humiliating, debasing way. Come to Him with praise and thanksgiving and confession. And then after you've prayed for everybody you know, then ask for yourself. That's how we keep a proper balance in prayer. And then, then the third thing of intentional discipleship. Is what built off of this vertical relationship of living in the Word and praying in faith. Then it's the discipline of love. The discipline of love. See, we grow in this love towards God. Okay? But God calls us not just to love Him. He said, I want you to be loving one another. That's the, that's the horizontal dimension of discipleship. Loving one another. Mark says, and... and when Jesus was asked, what was the greatest of all the commandments? Jesus responded, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love of God then flows with the love for others. And there are two dimensions of that love. That's loving other believers and loving those who are lost. Between those two, you cover the world. Loving those believers, that's, that's fellowship. We're going to talk a lot more about fellowship a little later. But that's loving one another, loving believers, bearing with one another, praying with one another, forgiving one another, uh, confessing our sins to one another, being hospitable to one another, all of the things that are wrapped up in those wonderful one another sayings in the New Testament. This is, this is how we're to live in relation to our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But then we're supposed to love this lost world. You and I, hear me, <clears throat> cannot do effective evangelism without love. Loveless evangelism damns people to hell, but doesn't love them into heaven. Love is the motivator. And when you love God, you love those that He loves. Well, He just loves those that are, are good people, the, the, the believers, the church people. Who were you before you came one of them? Who were you before you became one of them? One of these? Lost, rebellious, ignorant of God. And, and yet, the Scripture says, and it, and it actually is true because we experience it, He loved us and drew us to Himself and then brought us into His family. And then He set us over here in the family of God. Love has to be balanced. And love reaches out. You, we reach up in the vertical. We have to reach out. Well, what, what's God doing with your love that reaches out? How are you reaching out? How's God using you to reach out? That's the discipline of love. These, these are not the only disciplines, but these are basic. These disciplines will get you started. Out of coming to faith in Christ, live in the Word. Pray in faith. And let love flow out from you. Now, now let me just pause a minute and share. I, 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 gotta, I gotta do this. It is impossible for any pastor to disciple the people in his church from the pulpit. Discipleship can't happen by preaching. You can preach about discipleship. You can preach about the essence and the parts of discipleship. But discipleship doesn't happen from pulpit to pew. Can't. Discipleship has to happen in small groups where you interact with the Word and you interact in prayer. You interact with brothers and sisters in Christ and you do things to reach out to those on the outside. These smaller groups are discipleship groups. Southern Baptists have gotten away from this. When I was first saved uh, and first started coming to a Baptist church, we had BYPU. How many of you know what BYPU is? Let me see your hand. Not many of you. Some of you do. You remember. That's called Slav. You ain't as old as I am. BYPU was Baptist Young People's Union. That's where you went on Sunday evenings. 
And that's when discipleship happened. That's when, that's when the Word was not just taught as it is in Sunday school, but so deeply applied into our lives. That later turned into something <clears throat> that was called uh, Baptist Training Union. Okay? And Baptist Training Union was, was, was great. But then, then, then the numbers started falling off and an emphasis was being put more on reaching people initially for Christ than growing them in our faith. Then it turned into discipleship training. You remember when it turned to be called discipleship training. And it was programmatized. It was, it was put in little boxes, and you do this, and you put the film strip in, and you push the cassette replayer. I know, I'm old. You push the cassette replayer, and, and then you get discipled. And that never did work, because you don't disciple people with a program. You have to disciple them in relationships, in, in small groups. And what happened then, Southern Baptist stepped away from training, and they said, you know what? We'll just put discipleship training on the back of Sunday school. But Sunday school wasn't designed for training disciples. And so it's never done a good job at that. But only in the last couple of decades have we woken up and found out that we've got a couple of generations of people that have come to faith in Christ. They're genuine believers in Jesus Christ, but they don't know how to walk the Christ life. Because discipleship is something we haven't spent enough time on. And so you know this has been my passion for almost the whole time I've been here as your pastor. And let me just share with you something. After, after years of discipling small groups here and there and bringing Derek on as a minister of spiritual development and beginning to, to broaden this, this scale to very effective and leadership uh, folks that can help us, we're about to unveil at the beginning of the year a matrix to where regardless of where you are in your spiritual life, you can plug into discipleship in a way that if you're a brand new believer, here's, here's what you can do. And here's the people who are going to help you. And even if you're an advanced believer, here's some things that you can do to grow in your spiritual life. I can't wait to unveil that to you. I'm not going to do that today. I'm just going to tease you with it a little bit today. But just to say that this has been a growth out of my heart for so many years and seeing it come together is something that is precious. Let me say this, and then we're going to go on to our Lord's Supper. I want to share with you a little quote from Florence Nightingale. Many of you know her, the incredible uh, gifted nurse, missionary nurse that she was. She wrote in her diary this. She said, as of now I am 30 years of age. That's the age at which Christ began His mission. Now, no more childish things. No more vain things. Big exclamation point. Years later, when she was being honored for all of her sacrifice and the wonderful things she did, someone asked her what was the secret of having accomplished so much in her life for the Lord. And she said this, I only have one explanation. I've kept nothing back from God. I've kept nothing back from God. Far too many of us in the pews today keep far too much back from God and wonder why we're not disciplined and wonder why we're not growing. Folks, it's time to get on board. I love what last Sunday night, one of our precious members asking about things that we can do to reach more people. He said this, let me tell you what I need. I need to be discipled 
and know how to disciple others. Okay? He knows this. He feels his need. And this has been with us too long. We've got to meet this need. Now,